This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Father, you reveal yourself to us in your word, and we pray this morning that as we come here to worship you and to hear and to sing, to confess, to fellowship with each other, that in the, the process, the next hour and a half, two hours we spend together here, Lord, that you will become more real in our lives than you have ever been. We pray our time this morning is pleasing to you. We offer it to you. We want to give you our best in these uh, minutes ahead, Father. And we ask that you receive our worship and grow us up through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand up. How many of you know my wife, Jem? If you know my wife, Jem, remain standing. (laughs) It's okay. Not everybody here knows Jem. If you think you could pick her out of a lineup, remain standing. Got everybody. Okay. If you know her middle name, remain standing. (laughs) I got got a long list here. (laughs) Uh, 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 Do you know know where she attended high school? Then stand up. Do you know the original color of her hair when we first met? <laughs> she was a blonde, very blonde. Do you know what high school she graduated from? If you know what high school she graduated from, you can stand. Yeah, same as me. Okay, um, if she orders enchiladas, will they be red or green? If you know the answer to that, remain standing. <laughs> One guy in the corner here. (laughs) (coughs) When she has nightmares, what are they usually about? (laughs) (laughs) Did I ask for that? And that is the correct answer, by the way. (laughs) Okay. How does she cope with the fact that she would never deliver a child from her own womb? How and when did she become a follower of Christ? How did that event affect the questions I've just asked you? I know Jim. I know Jim well. 51 years of marriage and three years of courting. I don't know everything, but I know a lot. I'm a dangerous man. <laughs> um, Matthew 7, 22, 23. Grant just did a, preached on this. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus replied, I never knew you. I never knew you. Okay? You can know somebody. You can know their name and not know the person. 
knowing somebody in the sense that I want to talk about it this morning, I'm talking about really knowing somebody inside out, upside down, and backwards. And I'm going to talk much this morning about knowing Christ. And when I use those words today, knowing Christ, I, I want that to be in quotation marks. I'm talking about knowing Christ in the fullest measure that he has revealed himself to us. Okay? That's what I want to do uh, with this this morning. The word there, I never knew you, is I never knew you experientially. We know Jesus. He came to reveal himself that we might know him, it says in John 17, that we might experientially, we might know him in all ways of experience, have a personal relationship with him. I never knew you. Do we know him? Do we know Christ? <clears throat> Knowing his name is not enough. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Knowing his name is insufficient. I never knew you. Knowing Christ requires more than you think. Knowing Christ requires more than you think. Now we're in Luke 12, and these are difficult passages. The only way to, uh, to shine a light on them is to do a lot of context. Uh, men's Bible studies on Saturdays, we're going through Luke, and this is where we left off last time, so I'm just picking up men uh, where, where we left off here in verse 48. So we're going to go to 49 days. So here's, here's some context uh, and from the book of Luke. Luke is, is tell, he's told us that uh, 12 disciples, apostles have been chosen, and that Jesus in the process, is in the process of training these 12 men. He's taken them on the sermon on the plain, and on the sermon on the plain, he's told them what to expect, what it's going to be like. There's going to be people that listen to you. There's going to be people that reject you. There's going to be people that are hostile to you. And there's going to be people that accept and, and join in. Uh, he then sent the 12 out uh, on kind of an initial journey, and they went out, and they did their thing, and they came back, and uh, they're inspired, and things are going good, and he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and he revealed himself in glory at the transfiguration. To them. He revealed his divinity to them. He's revealing this guy who just took these, these fishermen, these you know, uh, eclectic group of guys, and he has made them a group, and he's training them. And he's revealing himself to them as he goes. And after the transfiguration, he asked Peter one day, who do people say I am? And Peter gives him, gives him the right answer. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Son of the living God. Okay? Peter gives that confession. But in, in some measure, as the light's coming on, they're still in the dark. Because we all know what happens next is Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to Jerusalem to be suffering and crucified. And Peter says, no way. You know, you, you do all these miracles, Jesus. You are invincible. And I'm with you. you know, I, I will protect you. I will take you. So they, they have flawed perceptions at this point yet who Jesus Christ really, truly is. They have flawed understandings of what it's going to cost them to follow Jesus and how much opposition they're really going to face when this thing gets going. They're clueless. As much, and as much as some has been revealed, much about they are still clueless. But it isn't just the 12, because then Jesus tells us there are 72 disciples. And 72 is not a precise number. Anything with the number 7 in it in the Bible is symbolic of total, complete. There's a whole group of people here. There's a 72 disciples, figuratively. And these 72 disciples are likewise being trained as, as we go. Um, he sends the 72 out after some training, and they come back. They've learned enough about Christ to go out and be his, his evangelist and to share, share the word with him. Our setting today in chapter 12 started at the beginning of chapter 11. We're in a town called a certain place. 
We don't know where we're at. All it says in, in Luke is we're at a certain place. And now we've gone through a whole bunch of stories in chapter 11 in this certain place. And what we need to know about this certain place is in this certain place, there's 10,000 people there. All right, there's, the, there's a huge crowd, and 10,000 is, is a, not a figurative number. It's probably an estimate of the crowds that are really there. The Pharisees are there. The scribes are there. The crowds are there. The, the apostles are there. The 72 are there. And so we need to understand, as Jesus speaks in chapter 11 and in, in our chapter 12 today, he's got a lot of audience here. And we have to make our way through this and say, who's he addressing? Who's he talking to in this section? Because it changes from time to time. It goes back and forth. Sometimes he's talking directly to the apostles and disciples, and sometimes he's, saying, he's got something to say to the crowds. <clears throat> what we are coming off of in our text today is he has just let the Pharisees have it. He's, told, he's called them hypocrites. He's told them, you're the leaders. You've been entrusted with all this, and you're doing a terrible job. You, he condemns the Pharisees. The religious leaders of the day have, been, have stood there condemned. And then he told the disciples. He, he, he directly told the Pharisees that with all the people there to hear. Then he told the disciples and the apostles themselves, those guys are hypocrites. Stay away from them. I know I'm telling you, abandon your culture. I know what I'm telling you is, is a fearful thing for you to do, but have no fear. Fear God, not man. All right. Fear me. Do not be ashamed of my name. Fear God. Fear me. Do not fear them. I got your back. Don't be anxious. I know the hairs on your head. I know about the sparrows. I know it. Will I not take care of you as well? This is our context as we're moving into this. And what, we, what I want us to get on board with and see is the progressive way that Jesus Christ is training up his people. The way he is progressively revealing himself to them that maybe initially they knew his name, but now they know when he has nightmares what he's, what he's most likely to have his nightmares about. Okay, They're learning, they're getting to know this guy. But they still have flawed perceptions, uh, false assumptions, preconceived ideas that, that aren't right. We know at this point what they do know, and what we just have learned, what has just been emphasized in the text preceding what, today's text is what they don't know. Jesus has just told them to be ready for my return. And that makes no sense, because he's standing right there, Okay? He hasn't gone anywhere. Is he going anywhere? Did you, we, don't, we don't know about you leaving anywhere. So he's, he's revealing to them that he's going away. And they don't, they, this is unexpected information. Not only that, he tells them that when I go away, I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. You be ready for when I come back. He's going away. But he's coming back and he won't. What's going on here? Okay, so there are stuff about Jesus that they don't know that he is subtly revealing to them. And, and so Peter asks this question. He says, are you talking to the crowds? Are you talking to us? Well, this is not making any sense to us. What's going on here, Jesus? Where are you going? They know much, but they don't know it all. They still remain one brick, one brick short of a load. One sandwich short of a picnic. Okay? I could keep going. There's a whole list of these I found on that Google. <laughs> they do not know Christ experientially yet. They are coming to know Christ experientially. All right. 
but they have preconceived ideas about who the Messiah is supposed to be, and Jesus ain't fitting those preconceived notions at all. Well, the thing I want us to pay a lot of attention to as, as we get going here now is the tone of this thing. The tone is what will make this come alive uh, to you or me today as we go. Knowing Christ requires more than you think. In terms of Luke's audience here, the, there's several things they need, they need to, to come to know that they don't. Number one, they must come to comprehend fully the objectives behind his coming. What's the plan? Why is he here? What's the intent of Jesus being here on earth and doing this? We've got the audience, all 10,000 people. Jesus has just spoken directly to the disciples, telling them, I'm going away, but I'm coming back soon. And so we need to understand our focus as we start this is to the disciples. Okay, this first section here is to the disciples. Verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Clear, right? About clear as mud. Um, <clears throat> what we need to understand here is fire. Fire is a Bible word. It, it, uh, it has a connotation. We need to not understand it in our Webster's Dictionary. Fire means disaster. Fire means calamity. Fire means fire and brimstone. It, it means wailing and gnashing of teeth. Think of your worst disaster movie. Uh, gas coming out of the earth, volcanic gases coming out of the earth, There's lightning coming down, exploding the gases, right? Volcanic activity, buildings on fire. I mean, it's the end of the earth, right? And who escapes? Pierce Bronson, because he's got a vehicle whose tires can drive over burning lava. <laughs> when we think of these things, we always know somehow they're going to get out of this. Some, somehow there'll be a healing or a miracle or something. When fire and comes, fire means judgment. Jesus is telling them, I know you think I'm the Messiah who come to conquer your enemies, to, to, to free you, give you freedom from bondage, and, and we'll all live happily ever after when I get to Jerusalem. But I didn't come just for that. I came to judge and when I came to judge, think of fire, think, think of that disaster movie, think of it. There are no tires that will save you and I when that judgment comes. All right? It's a fire that consumes. And Jesus' attitude, he's telling them at this point in time, he, he, he's talking about the cross here. He, he is saying here, I have come to do this, and, and judgment will come at the cross, and I wish this was behind me. I wish this was over with. Gethsemane isn't the only place where Jesus agonizes about what he's, he has been sent to do. He's agonizing in front of them right here, telling them, I wish this was over with. What I have to do here is going to hurt. People are going to get hurt. It's going to be an ugly scene. And not only that, verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Again, a difficult passage. What we have to understand is baptism in this sense, in this regard, it's an idiom used in the culture. And if I conquered perhaps a city and I was going to conquer it, and I needed to go clean house in that city, I would basically destroy the city. I, I would basically do what Russia is doing right now to uh, the Ukraine. 
I need to destroy everything, and then I'll replant, regrow. And, I'll, and that, that destruction is a baptism. That's the idiom that's being, that he's using right here. It's a baptism of fire. This isn't a baptism where we come up. Yeah, baptism is always associated with death, and then something new comes to life. But Jesus is talking about the cross here. I'm going to have to go to the cross. And how great is my distress until I get this done. Until this is accomplished. Can you get inside Jesus' head right now and see the agony, see the distress? He knows what he's been sent to do, and it's not good. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. It isn't going to be the snap of the fingers because he has his divinity with him. He's going to suffer. In every way you and I might suffer, and he's agonizing at this point on this day. And he wants the people that he's sending out to understand. There's a fundamental foundational thing you better understand if you're going to be my disciples, and that is what I have done for you, what I am getting ready to do for you, is at great cost to myself. Do not underestimate the cost of me going to the cross on your behalf. It's a real deal, and it hurts, and it's going to be bad. Knowing Christ requires more than you think. And they need to come to full, to full comprehension of the objectives behind His coming. He gives them an example here. Verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. And he gives the examples. Family divided. A house divided against itself. I'm telling you, disciples, this is, there's cost in this thing. You think I came to, to bring peace, and it's going to be peace on earth, and we're all going to live happily after. No. When I leave you behind, there's going to be division. There's going to be rancor. There's going to be problems between you. I didn't come just to die and to save you, but there will be divisions. This is going to be tough. All right? He's talking to the disciples. He's talking directly to them. In verse 51, if, um, if we were doing a play here, and I told you, you got the part of Jesus, and I want you to read this verse. Can you read, can you find the passion in this verse? Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? We've been together all this time, and you've seen all of this, and I've told you I'm going to Jerusalem to die twice already, and you think I've come to bring peace? Are you not listening? Pay attention. Hear what I'm telling you. Not what you think, but what I'm telling you. Knowing Christ will require more than you think. But that's not all. There's a second thing, verse 54 to 56. See, these people have some preconceived ideas of who Messiah was and who he was supposed to be. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present? 
First thing now I have to ask you, he just got through talking to his disciples and basically rebuking them for not understanding yet who he was and what he was supposed to do. His attention has changed now because it says, and he said to the crowds. So his focus I want you, now is a little bit changed. We, our direction, the object of these words are to the crowds themselves. But this is a parable. A parable is, is something, a device that Jesus uses so that he can say something to the crowd and they will agree with, and in the same breath, in the same words, say something hidden under the, under the radar to the disciples that these guys, the crowds, won't understand. This is a parable. Parables have contrast. They're true to life. They have something everyone can agree to, and they have a hidden message. The contrast here is... There are things you hear and see, and you get, get it right. You draw the right conclusions. And then there are things you hear and see that are obvious, and you don't draw the right conclusion. Those things, and this is true to life. They knew the weather patterns. They knew when something came from the west or something came from the south, they knew what was coming. If somebody tells us it's El Nino or La Nina, we know what that means. Or if they're the Santa Ana winds, right? We know what that means. Or a nor'easter. We understand. We can agree that we understand how to read. There are things that we can read and we can understand. All right? What is the hidden meaning here? He's telling them something and they go, yeah, we get that. Why does that make us hypocrites? Well, disciples, here's, here's what we should be hearing this. This is not, he's not teaching them how to forecast the weather. Okay? We know that. There's got to be some other point to this other than teaching weather, weather patterns. What is obvious that they have failed to see? This is obvious and they see it. This is obvious and they see it. What is obvious that they have failed to see in this season? Well, Jesus Christ, in the book of Luke, does 23 miracles. He's already done 10 of them. Of those 10 that he has performed, that includes feeding the 5,000, which probably tells us why now, here today, there's 10,000 there to hear what's going on this time. Not only has he done, uh, fed the 5,000, he's brought somebody back to life. In a large public gathering, he brought a little boy back to life in, in full of view. He has done obvious things. He's healed people that were sick or blind forever. He's driven demons out forever. They should know by now. It should be obvious to them by now that he speaks with authority. They have even said when he, he, he has driven a demon out, this man speaks with great authority. Nobody speaks like this guy. He has done so much at this point to show them and to demonstrate to them who he is that they should be, it should be obvious to them. But it's not obvious to them. And I, I, I'm going to go so far as to say here what I think is also obvious in this passage. He's not just talking to the whole crowd. He's talking to the Pharisees. He told the Pharisees about a half a chapter back they were hypocrites. And he's calling them hypocrites again now. You have been given much. You have been told much. You have the scriptures. You have everything. And yet you do not see. That's what he's saying here to the crowds, more, more specifically than not, to, to the Pharisees. The crowds must learn more about Jesus so they can see what's in front of them and, and it should be obvious to them. They have notions about Messiah that need to be fixed. Knowing Christ requires more than you think. 
these people must come to comprehend fully the objectives behind his coming, and they must replace the falsehoods they embrace with the truth that has been made obvious. Let's keep going. Starting in verse 57. And why do you judge, do, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now at this moment in time, if there's a dispute between you and somebody else, how do you settle it? If you're Jewish, you probably go to uh, one of the Pharisees, the scribes. They're the experts in the law, and they'll settle it, and they'll, they'll look at the law, what the law says, and they'll say, you have broken the law, and, or you have not broken the law, and you'll be judged by the law. Right? If you're a Roman, you go to a Roman court, and a Roman official will decide. You know, you owe money, you can't pay, uh, you go to prison until you can pay. That's a pretty desperate place, because how, do you, how much money do you earn an hour in prison to pay your debt? You don't. You, when you are sent to prison and indentured servant, you're probably going to stay there. Now, there are ways around this, but the point of the parable here, again, a parable here, is that you, know, you, have, you have some choices to make. The contrast, and once again, it, it's a parable. The contrast is, do you want to settle out of court with your friend? Or do you want to go into court and, and, and in front of the magistrate and, and settle this? And the obvious assent is the obvious answer to everybody listening here. I don't want to go to court. I can get sent to prison. You know, if, if it doesn't go my way, I'm going to work things out in advance with, with, my, with my person here, okay? Now, at first glance, you, uh, well, the first time I looked at this, I thought, well, is, is he telling the disciples, you know, I'm getting ready to send you out, and um, you've got, probably got things against each other, and I want you to work those things out, meet with each other, work them out before you go. Now, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's exactly what we're told to do. We're told to work things out amongst ourselves, and not go to court and sue each other and all that. Christians Christians should work things out amongst themselves. Matthew 18 tells us how to do that. All right, But that's not what this is about. Uh, this is something different. But as Christians, we do have to work things out. Right? I mean, but by now, you've been coming to church here long enough, most of you, that you know who you don't like here. <laughs> right? You, you know who you can't stand. <laughs> there are, are, are the ones who you haven't bothered yet to learn their names. We have divisions amongst ourselves, too, that need to be worked out. 1 Corinthians 6, this is a rabbit hole. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll leave it alone. <coughs> what's the hidden meaning here? If we can agree it's better to settle things, what's the hidden meaning? The hidden meaning to you and I, if we have ears to hear, is do you want to settle up right now with, with, with your judge? the one who, whom you have offended with Jesus Christ, do you want to settle up right now on His terms, right now, or are you going to wait to the great white throne and see what happens to you there? You want to settle up now or you want to settle up later? See, if you settle up now, the standard you'll be judged by is grace. What you've done wrong will go away. You'll be given, forgiven for it. Or, the message to you now is if you don't settle up now, if you don't come to peace with Jesus Christ now and accept what he did for you now, then you will face judgment at the great white throne. And you will not have tires at the great white throne that can drive over lava. There will be no escape. And you will be sentenced at the great white throne to an eternity in a place you don't want to go to for one day, let alone eternity. 
So what he's telling them here is receive, I'm going to the cross. The cross is going to divide us. You need to read the signs. I've made this obvious enough by now that you should be listening to me. Settle up now with me now and receive grace. Or face judgment at the great white throne. Should we settle now out of court or should we settle later and try to settle up at the great white throne? Throw ourselves on the mercy of the court then. I know I was a bad person. I know I didn't believe in Jesus. Just let me in. It ain't going to work. Right? Now, settle now is where we're at with this whole thing. So, this is number three. Uh, knowing Christ requires more than you think. And what you need to learn is there's a different magistrate right now with whom you can make peace. You have the opportunity right now to make peace with Christ. Settle up now. Do the disciples at this point have a full experiential awareness of who Jesus is and why he came? No, they do not. They've heard something about a cross, but they haven't seen it. He's, he's told them about the sign of Jonah. They don't know that means he's going to come up from the grave. They don't know anything about an ascension. They don't know anything yet about him going away and coming back and leaving the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, of blanks in their minds right now why we shouldn't hold them too hard to the stone to know that they should know everything. And I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you and I have to know, have to have PhDs in theology before we know Christ. All right? We, he's more than a name. He's someone that went to the cross for you and I. All right? But you still have the chance. I don't know, how do I want to word this? Was there not one of the 12 who betrayed Jesus? And we will not spend eternity with. All right? Were there not some of those 72 bucket-loaded disciples who along the way said, this is too hard? And they left. They walked away. They said they couldn't do it. All right? There, there are, are, um, the spiritual leadership was condemned and told publicly, you're not, in it. you're not there. The gate's closed for you. TikTok gate's locked. You're not coming in. The tone of this last section, we're coming to the end of this, this series of, uh, of teachings in a certain place. And, and basically, Jesus is coming now forth with a full-throated response at them. There's some stuff here coming, yet you've got to deal with it. And you've got to believe it, and you're going to be asked to live it. The tone is heavy. The tone is important. But if you want to know Christ, you need to pay attention. You need to listen. All right? Knowing Christ requires three things. We must come to comprehend fully the objectives behind His coming. We must replace the falsehoods we embrace with the truth that has been made known. And there is a different magistrate with whom you and I must make peace. I just said that different. What was the difference? I, I read this to you. He was speaking to them. They had to do this. They had to make peace. They had to do this. We are the 72. The 72 are the people that Christ has chosen to spread his word and to be part of the community, the covenant community of Christ. This is to us. 
And I'm, I'm suggesting here today that there is much about Christ that you and I do not know. We're all in different places. And I, I understand that completely. But I'm asking you, other than knowing the name, do you know the man? Do you know the Son of God? Do you have experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ? Or is he just words on paper to you? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you talk to him? Do you listen to him? Do you seek his counsel? Do you understand completely, fully why he came and what he did? And if it caused him that much distress, does it not likewise cause you distress to think about it and to revisit it? He's given you enough information, you and I enough information, that it should be obvious who he was and what he came and accomplished. If this is the inspired word of God and not just another book on the bookshelf. If you remain in unbelief, why? Is there something, somehow, some way that we can share with you to help you see what is obvious to us? This book, if you go through it, becomes a masterpiece of literature written over 1,500 years, 66 books, dozens of authors who have somehow managed to write one story, one complete story. That in itself testifies to the veracity of this book and to the words we just read and have talked about here. The miracles of Jesus are real. The changed lives in this room from people who have met Christ and know Christ gives testimony to the authenticity of Jesus Christ in a person's life. We have been given enough. It should become obvious to us. There is no reason to remain in unbelief. If you do, you're gambling on mercy at the great white throne, and that ain't the way it works. Make your peace now. On the other hand, if you know Christ, are you satisfied right now with what you know about Christ? Or is there not more to this man that you don't yet know? Good old book, little paperback book I read about 40 years ago, The Man Nobody Knows. We know a little bit about him, but man, there's a lot more. And I, I, I just encourage you to learn more, to know him better, to know who it is when you get to the gates of heaven, to know who's on that other side of that gate, just wel waiting to welcome you in. Does he know you? Do you know his middle name? Do you know what year he graduated from high school? Do you know what gives him nightmares? What is he like on his enchiladas? Know him and know him well. Knowing Christ requires some work, more than you think. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement. We'll accept a rebuke if it's in there for each one of us. Mostly we pray that all the lives and the bodies in this room uh, seek to settle with you now to receive grace for lives uh, of sin that uh, keep us apart from you. We trust you with all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.